Welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 185. I think that it's really, really important to figure out a way to stay positive. You have to remind yourself, whatever you're doing with your car, whether it's track day or, or just showing it off or racing it or autocrossing it, whatever you're doing, it's really something that a lot of people on the planet will never get a chance to do. And you should remind yourself that this is something pretty glorious. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Have you turned your key and heard that dreaded tick, 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 tick because of a dead battery? No worries. I've got the NOCO Genius Boost Jump Starter. This compact tool fits in your glove box and features rechargeable lithium battery technology that will start a dead battery in your car, boat, truck, or RV. It packs a whopping 12-volt, 400-amp starting power and can start up to 20 dead batteries on a single charge. Plus, it has built-in spark-proof technology with reverse polarity protection to safely jumpstart your vehicle. The compact, ergonomically designed clamps are solid copper for maximum conductivity, and there's a built-in ultra-bright dual LED flashlight with seven modes, including an SOS emergency strobe. It's easily rechargeable with a USB outlet, and you can charge your smartphone or tablet while you're on the road. Works on any 12-volt lead-acid battery. The Genius Boost from NOCO is the ultimate emergency tool that's safe and easy to use. Quality design, state-of-the-art technology from NOCO, your battery care source since 1914. Get yours at GeniusChargers.com. Hello, automotive enthusiasts. Today I'm so excited to introduce a very special guest, Jim Carney. Jim, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? Mark, I've got my stopwatches set and I'm ready to go. All right. I love it when a guest comes prepared. Jim Carney operates KDD, Carney Driver Development. He's a driving coach whose mission is to help drivers become faster, more consistent, and competitive. He spent 32 years racing in Formula V, Formula Ford, F2000, and SSC. He's a four-time SCCA Northeast Division FE champion with numerous top 10 finishes. He's a published writer, and his words appeared in Sports Car Magazine and Speed Secrets Weekly, just to name a few. Jim's napkin manifesto, I love this, little things do add up, is a testament to Jim's philosophy about driving fast and tuning the helmet, not engineering the race car. I like that one as well. As drivers gain confidence, performance rises, and happy drivers go faster. So, Jim, I've told our listeners just a little bit about you. Would you take a moment and share some more about your history, your career, your interests, and, of course, your passion for driving automobiles really fast? Yeah, absolutely. It's, uh, I don't know exactly when it began, Mark, but I do recall long, long, long ago as a very young boy pushing cars around the carpet and being just totally fascinated with cars in general. For some reason, I seem to be able to make a point of naming all the new cars when they came out and um, paying attention to everything having to do with cars. And my uh, older sisters uh, on occasion before I was, before I had a license would let me drive the family sedan around a uh, parking lot, which I just thought was pretty much the greatest thing that could happen. (laughs) Oh yeah. Yeah. 
when I did get a license to drive, to me, it was a really big deal. Um, it just seemed to be like, um, I don't know, I felt like I had a natural affinity for it, and I was certainly attracted to doing it. It just, uh, I just thought it was the greatest thing to be able to be mobile and then to um, immediately start to explore the limits. We were kind of blessed to have a lot of interesting country roads around uh, Scranton, where I grew up, Scranton, Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. And um, you could really exercise your car. Tell us a little bit about how, I know you were an attorney for a majority of your career, is that right? But you also got involved in racing. So tell us how that all happened. Yeah, I'm still a lawyer now. Uh, I uh, got involved with racing uh, in terms of actually doing it, I guess, around uh, 1976, 77 in that era. Mm-hmm. About 10 years before that, a little bit more, uh, 64, some friends of mine from high school and I went up to Watkins Glen to see what was going on up there. We had a great party, and the next morning I remember hearing this incredible noise, and I think I was the only one of our gang to actually get out of the tent and watch early morning practice in this um gray Ferrari went by me in the early morning warm-up session. It just kind of like transformed my world, you know. Oh, yeah. I heard this, uh, this motor that was sounding like something I'd never heard before. It made me think of, uh, it was like a Swiss watch going by at, you know, 140 miles an hour or whatever it was doing. And nice. I just thought, you know, I don't understand this really, but this is really important. <laughs> well, when did you start racing? Um, I think 76 was my driver's school, and uh, 77 would have been the first year that I ran some uh, races, and uh, through the Bill Scott Racing School, kind of got my uh, introduction to it, and I ran a Formula Ford race at uh, Summit Point. It was uh, just a real eye-opener. Yeah, and you did a lot of racing, so that was, I assume, mostly a hobby for you? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was kind of a crazy hobby, uh, a lot of a lot of folks that get involved in things automotive tend to have a heavy interest in them, shall we say. <laughs> so from the outside world, uh, people would assume that uh, I was gaining something from it financially, but um, I wasn't. But I really do feel like I was gaining something from it in, in many ways. I mean, it was just a felt like I had the complete commitment to doing this activity is just way beyond what, what uh, normally would be a hobby. Sure. And excuse the pun, but what drove you after you stopped racing and you started coaching and training people? What drove you to go down that path? Well, one interesting thing that happened was in 2009, I had taken a year off racing. I was still planning to come back possibly. And uh, I went to some point and really just met up with this friend of mine, Guy Pepitone, who was running a Formula Mazda in a semi-pro series. And I was really just going down to get out of the office for a couple of days. Um, and I just would uh, kind of be another pair of hands to help him throw tires at the car. Mm-hmm. Um, and he said to me when I arrived that uh, he mentioned almost right away that he felt like he had lost his touch. Mm. And, um, you know, it's kind of like drivers joke about that from time to time, but he wasn't joking. And uh, he mentioned the last two races that he had been to, Mid-Ohio and Road America, were tracks that he knew quite well, but he was mired in the mid-teens, uh, and he 
didn't feel like he could make much progress. Mm-hmm. And I was kind of floored by that, I, and I had no thoughts of coaching anybody, but I realized that that's kind of what this situation needed. And a uh, guy and I walked out to the last turn at Summit onto the longest straightaway, and we talked about the turn, and he ran a session on a practice day, and I kind of debriefed him afterwards. And we basically went around the track, And the next day, a guy qualified on the pole, three-tenths under the track record. And he was really excited. And I kind of thought, well, this was a lot of fun. It was just real. It was so much more involving than standing at a racetrack and watching cars go by. Well, we'll learn a little bit more about your driving, your coaching and driving here as we move through. And I love the aspect that I spoke of when I introduced you of tuning the helmet (laughs) because... Having done some racing myself, it is so much about what's going on between your ears as it is between the tires. So as we continue on your journey, I always like to start by asking my guests for a success quote or a mantra, something that has some meaning in their life. It's a great way to get the inspirational tires turning here on Cars, yeah? So Jim, take the wheel. You know, I think what I find myself saying this a lot, and so I guess it's become important to me, is understanding one thing, that everyone is different. Mm. And it's a simple phrase, but it really reminds you of just how important it is to approach every single person as a unique individual. Because they really are. I mean, it's astonishing to me that I started going down this road of doing the driver coaching and interacting on a close level with a lot of different drivers, just how different they all were from one another. And uh, there really isn't any one size fits all. Sure. Well, how have you incorporated that concept into your coaching and helping people on the track? Can you give me an example? Yeah, I think that uh, the biggest thing is to arrive without personal expectations. The first time I went to the runoffs in 2010 as a coach, I had called four drivers and asked them if they would be interested, and they all said yes. Uh, and one of them, Rick Shields, won the race. Um, so he was a national champion. It was his sixth try. His prior best finish was ninth. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he got the Kimberly Cup Award for the most improved driver in the in the nation. Nice. What his need was was tactics. He actually had a lot of speed. Uh, he had a lot of desire. His car was well-prepped, and he did a lot of things right, but he had a tendency to want to lead every, be first into every corner, and Mm -hmm. uh, one of the things I worked on him with was being strategic, being tactical about things, particularly at Road America, where the runoffs was being held. You You needed to be very careful about positioning your car so that you could exit onto a you know, a straightaway and get a draft and pop out and maximize both your lap time and and increase your positions. If you were first into the corner, you were going to be last at the end of the straight. <laughs> Excellent. That's great. Would you share a story with us that instigated your passion for cars? You talked about that morning, crawling out of that tent and watching that Ferrari drive by, but is there a pivotal moment you can remember in your life when you really knew you were a car guy? I think it would be when uh, I was fortunate enough to be able to buy a second-hand Lotus Europa about my second or third year out of law school. In the southern part of the county that I live in, 
has a lot of great roads and, uh, you know, I went too fast on all these great roads and just spent a lot of time exploring the limits of the car without having any formal instruction. Uh, one day, because uh, really back then there wasn't much available in terms of racing schools or I remember trying to figure out, I mean, I read something in Road and Track about somebody who was in a four-wheel drift. But nobody would say, like, what that really was or <laughs> sure. how you did it, you know. Yeah. So uh, uh, there was an occasion where I could go to a solo one school at Summit Point that Bill Scott Racing was having. And for $50, you got to drive your own car on the track, and you would also get some instruction. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, there was a kind of a beer party and they had I think 50 participants and I saw Bill Scott um, who was descended from the clouds he was a great guy <laughs> but he was very revered world champion Formula V guy and uh, he came walking through the crowd and he walked up to me and he shook my hand and said that last turn there was nothing missing or nothing left out or something like that and nice. I kind of all but swooned you know yeah uh-huh. and uh and he said to me, it'd be a shame if you didn't race. I couldn't believe it. I had been an avid spectator for, you know, 10 years or more. But um, money was always an issue. Access was always an issue. And now I just kind of thought, you know, I have to do this. I have to give this a try. Right, right. You know, it's wonderful how just a few sincere words of encouragement can alter our lives. <laughs> And uh, it's so important when you see somebody do something well to pay them that compliment because you never know where that might steer them. That's wonderful. Yeah, absolutely. And I find that uh, in the coaching as well, one of the things that uh, one of the tendencies I see is there's racing is driving is complex. It's a lot of things to try to do right and try to assemble a lot of things correctly. It's real easy to get out of the car each time and focus just on what you did wrong mm-hmm. or where you're lacking. Although that is important to to assess those things. If all you're hearing, all your brain is hearing is you saying, I'm doing this wrong and I'm terrible at this, I'm no good at this, it misses the point that there's some great activity happening. It's really interesting. It's really fun. And odds are you're doing a bunch of things right. And it's worth talking about that too to balance it out yes well spoken coach i like that so jim what i want to do now is take a look at some of the roads you've driven down and crawl under the hood here and ask you to share with us a huge challenge or even a great failure that you've faced in your career or maybe your life but the most important part of this question has to do with how you overcame that situation and even more important what did you learn from it well you know the first thing that popped to mind when you said that was that um I wasn't a mechanic, but I raced a couple of years driving a Formula V that I had bought uh, secondhand and uh, tried to at least kind of keep things from falling off it. <laughs> and at one point, my good friend Steve Oseth, who had a new Citation Formula V, encouraged me to also uh, go that route. And uh, I bought the kit out in Indianapolis from Steve Lathrop and took it to my friend's house is about two hours south of me. And over the course of 16 weekends in a row, I wow. built the car. Dedication. And uh, <laughs> it, was, yeah, it, was, it was definitely an obsessive-compulsive moment, but it was uh, interesting. And then uh, 
I didn't. It took more, much more time than I thought. Uh, I wasn't necessarily the most reasonable when it came to scheduling things, and uh, didn't get it on track until uh, I think it was uh, July Fourth weekend at Watkins Glen, and I desperately wanted to qualify for the runoff. Mm-hmm. And it was really kind of down to the wire, trying to get the car sorted out, desorted out, and we did finally qualify. We continued that process of of making adjustments and uh, kind of got it right towards the very end. And we ended up uh, gritting fourth out of something like 45 cars at the national runoffs at Road Atlanta. And it really kind of um, d- drove home that whole thing about, you know, you can get it if you really want it. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I had a lot of friends that gave me an incredible amount of help. But there's that sense of the person who was there at night and often in the morning was me trying to figure it out and uh, and just kind of making it happen. Yeah, right. Perseverance. Excellent. Let's shift gears here and go to the other end of the spectrum. I'd love for you to share a story. When you had a real aha moment with perhaps it was with, with your racing, a time when you realized, you know what, I think this is a good idea. I think this is going to be great. And tell us the steps you took to turn your aha moment into your success. At the, the runoffs again, this time at Road America, I was working with a fellow named Jim Hallman in D-Sports Racing. And uh, D-Sports Racing uh, is an incredibly quick car. It's actually become the fastest car in the club. As somebody who mostly came out of the Formula B world, I was a little bit uh, intimidated at first myself about these speed numbers. Mm-hmm. I ended up coaching him essentially like it was a Formula V, uh, um, maybe a very fast Formula V. Yes. And things got better, but he was still, I think he was gridded 11. There was one day left to go, and I found myself uh, sitting in a bar just trying to kind of think the next day what would be the single best thing I could say to Jim to just kind of be as much help as I could be. I'm not a believer in talking a guy to death. I think, if anything, racers generally have too much input around them. It's just a kind of, uh, it's like standing under a waterfall. I mean, that's no help, you know. It's got to be in bits that you can digest. Right. Anyhow, I took out a napkin, and I wrote down on the napkin as I was waiting for my pizza to come what I thought I would like to ask him to do about turn one. And I thought that we would go for a tenth of a second gain. And the same in three. And we got down to five. I wanted no gain because he was in danger of overdriving it. Same with six, no gain. Anyhow, so I went around the course that way. Yeah. And uh, the next day, it, or it added up to point nine, So it would be nine-tenths if he were to do all this correctly. And in the morning when I went in, the conditions were the same. The weather was the same. There were no changes with the car or the tires. Everything was the same platform. And I remember just holding up the napkin, (laughs) dangling the napkin. And I said, Jim, these are all reasonable goals, don't you think? And he kind of slowly read down the numbers and he kind of said, yeah, that that, that makes sense. And I'm sure we talked a little bit more, but not a lot. And I am always kind of in the vicinity, but I'm not a cheerleader. You know, I think, Mm -hmm. you know, the guys who are pretty motivated to begin with. He went out and he went 3.1 seconds faster. Oh, my gosh. Wow. 3.1 seconds faster. Yeah. And uh, rarely do I meet them at the car, but I did in his case because I was so impressed. I just said, 
great job. He said, thank you. He, as he got out of the car, I always kind of am poking at him a little bit to go do your homework. I don't want him to talk to anybody. I want him to go do their track map first. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he headed off to do the track map, and he turned around halfway to his trailer, and he still had his helmet on, but I could see him grinning. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he said, it was easy. The point that that made with me is that it's so important to talk about small, kind of thin-slicing goals. It's, if I had told him to go out and get a second, I'm not so sure he could have done that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because it seems like a big demand. It's just like, you know, too big a bite. Little things add up, you know. That's a, a really big deal, you know. It's, uh, and, of course, it has to be personalized. I mean, I think, you know, he knew that I was all over the course for the last four days watching him. You know, every time I would give him segment times comparing his car to other cars of the same make, I could tell him he was turning in at the right places, same places as them. His car was planted. It felt planted to him. I mean, you you would never just do this with somebody off the top of your head, but he knew it was personalized and, and, you know, and we believed in one another. I think that was a real key to that. Right. And and our goals were very reasonable and very specific. Fantastic. And you know, as such, he went out with a sense of, I can do this. Right, right. As opposed to, I have to do this or else. Yeah. Spectacular. The napkin manifesto, I love it. <laughs> or how do you eat an <laughs> elephant one bite at a time? That's it. That's <laughs> it. Perfect. That's it. And Perfect. so to, the, to this day, when I do track maps, I usually... Um, at the end of the day, I will circle one or two or three places that I think that they can make a slight gain. Mm-hmm. And then they can think about that all night. And the next day they come in and they think they're kind of programmed to almost just do it. Right. How about proudest moments? I'm sure you've had many with your students as a coach, but is there one in particular that stands out in your mind? Well, this year at the Watkins Glen, at the end of the year, uh, it's the last race of the uh, Pro F2000 series. I was uh, working with Tim Paul, and he's with uh, the Cellmark GTP F2000 mm-hmm. car, and he had a third place, which was his strongest finish in a number of years, and it was very uh, authoritative, you know, and I think we saw it coming. We worked on it together all year, and he just kind of nicely stepped up and you know there was no luck involved I mean he just did a great job and he was on the podium and uh, it was just a a terrifically happy moment Um, that same weekend a good friend of mine who I also do some work with Tim Miner won the Pro F2000 championship at the same race the same uh, weekend Nice. Uh, and out at Laguna Seca at the same weekend uh, I also had uh, Jeremy Grenier, who won the Formula F for Formula Ford mm-hmm. National Championship and, and, and was awarded the uh, Mark Donahue Award, which is kind of like the Heisman Trophy of the FCCA. Yes. And on the way home, my friend Rick Shields called me to tell me that he had won the Formula V National Championship. Oh, wonderful. Wow, what a weekend. <laughs> yeah, I just... I should have been playing the lottery that day. I guess so. Yeah, but a lot of hard work. The lottery is just about luck. Uh, What you did and your drivers did was a lot of hard work. Fantastic. Let's have a little bit of fun here. What was your first really special car? And I'll include in that race car, if you like. And maybe you could share a memory you had with that vehicle. 
You know, I think that the, the first car that really, you know, uh, got me excited was the Lotus Europa. I'd had a sports car before that, but uh, nothing like the Europa. Mm-hmm. It was kind of like ignorance is bliss. I had really very little mechanical knowledge. That's an understatement. Mm-hmm. I just didn't know anything about it. I'd put gas in the car. I knew it needed oil occasionally. and probably needed to put air in the tires. That's all I knew. I would take that car and do things with it that um, that I probably shouldn't have done. I went uh, <laughs> from the end of the day, I went from Lancaster up to uh, Three Rivers in Canada to see a Formula Atlantic race. Oh, cool. And uh, spend a day there. And the next day, I drove it around the Gaspian Peninsula. And I would stop and like uh, camp out in a tent and wake up in the morning and put on driving shoes and drive all day in the Europa. It was just... Um, great fun and i was i think i was really lucky because i didn't have breakdown mm-hmm. sure yeah <laughs> yeah those cars are known for that <laughs> once in a while <laughs> just a little bit how about seller's remorse is there a vehicle you've let go in your life that you really wish you could have back in your garage speaking theoretically the europa mm-hmm. uh, but now that i know about its total lack of crashworthiness. <laughs> yes. I think it's probably just as well that it doesn't. And the period that I went through when I had that car, I really was teaching myself, I think, how to drive. Mm-hmm. And uh, and it really wasn't the wisest thing to do, certainly, uh, without any kind of a, you know, it just has the backbone frame. So Yeah, they're delicate a, cars. One friend said to, said to me, the mechanic said, <clears throat> it looks like you're going to hit something with this car, pull your feet up. Oh, gosh. Yeah, it's like, like uh, an old vintage race thinking, car. What an odd thing to say. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think he knew something. How about yeah. current projects? Is there something you're working on right now that really has you excited and fired up? I'm working with uh, Kim Paul on uh, Kim getting ready for, for this season. And one of the things that we found is that, you know, over the years, I have been doing a lot of this coaching where I would be coaching multiple drivers during uh, a weekend. And on uh, one occasion, I found myself up at uh, Thompson, Connecticut this past year, 2014. I didn't have any other customers, and uh, I ended up spending a lot of time focusing on just this one team. Mm-hmm. And the result of it was, uh, with everyone's permission, I went around and interviewed not just Tim, the driver, but his dad, Rick, Glenn Phillips, the GTP uh, crew chief prep shop owner, and Mike Whitson, the uh, mechanic. It was interesting to see how they each have each have a little bit of a a different take and maybe um, something that we could use. And mm-hmm. I took all that information, and we went to that race with like a six point plan and implemented it. And it was just so much better, I think, for everyone than arriving without a plan. Right. Not to say that they didn't have basic plans, but this kind of addressed particular things. And it was kind of like the Jim Holman thing. The You can't just come up with six things. They have to be, you know, personalized to the situation. Right. And that, that had a really good effect, I think, on the team. And um, I'd be, I'm really interested in doing more of that this year. Uh, sounds great. In my uh, prior career, I wrote a comprehensive business plan that was titled, You Can't Win a Race Without a Plan. And I used racing metaphors throughout the process yeah. Yeah, um, to describe it. And you're so right. It's like anything in life. 
if you map out a plan, you typically will have some success because you know where you're going and how you're going to go into each of those corners. So now here's an introspective question for you, Jim. If you were a car, what kind of car would you be and why? Uh, I'd probably be at this point a diesel sedan. Okay. And why is that? Because I'm thumping along. (laughs) Well, that's a very honest answer. And I like that. You know, we all wish we were uh, Formula One cars, perhaps, or sleek Italian (laughs) sexy cars, but maybe we're not quite there at this point in our life. So I think that's a fantastic answer. So, Jim, up next is the last lap. But before we put the pedal to the metal, here's a little something for the Cars Yeah listeners. Do you love vintage cars? Then go to CarsYeah.com and get a free copy of the fantastic Filler Up book. It's a full-color ebook filled with fuel filler fun with over 60 color photographs of vintage cars plus inspirational quotes from some of the most famous automotive enthusiasts of all time. Simply go to CarsYeah.com and click on the free book button on the homepage. Download your free Filler Up book today at Cars Yeah. All right, Jim, we're back, and this is the last lap. You're a racer. You know what that means. The white flag is out. And this is where I'm going to fire off a series of questions and ask you to give our listeners some very quick blips of the throttle answers. So are you ready to go? Absolutely. All right. What's the best automotive advice you've ever received? Well, you know, I was a Formula V guy, so and I was trying to teach myself what I needed to know to handle the care and feeding of the car. And there was that classic uh, book about keeping your Volkswagen alive forever? Uh, You know, I had a guest on last week that cited that as her book of choice. Is that right? Uh, Emmy Hall is her name, and she races off-road Volkswagen kind of dune buggy type vehicles, 1,600 cc. So that's great. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's a Bible. Well, one of the quotes in there is, be kind to your ass for it bears you. (laughs) I like that. (laughs) That's the first on cars. Yeah, that's great. Would you share one of your personal habits that you believe has contributed to your success? When I was younger, I wasn't so good at uh, managing my temper. And uh, I remember uh, being in a specific uh, spot in a race at Summit Point in a Formula V where as I got more angry, the car that I was chasing got further away. (laughs) You got slower. (laughs) it It was just absolutely the best lesson for me because the desire thing can get in the way a sense of you know entitlement can get in the way and probably what this guy had done really didn't even merit me getting angry but as i got angry my driving didn't get better it got worse that red mist for us to kind of learn got to be something that we really want i really wanted this and when i thought about it i just had to face the fact that i needed to to change i needed to manage my emotions yes um, better and uh one of the things i work on a lot with the coaching is and it's not some of it's kind of in the background but just trying to have a real calm uh approach to everything you know the calmer the driver is the better he's going to be in general terms because his movements are going to be smoother softer he's going to be less stressful on the tires to be less stressful on himself. And above all, the calmer he is, the more clearly he's likely to recall things after a session. The one big rule that I have is that when they come in, they can't talk to anybody. And I you know, make sure that all the crew is kind of on board with this. But the issue is when you get out of the car, to me, 
it's like you wake up in the morning and you've got some crazy dream and you're trying to recall it, but if your wife comes in and turns on the lights and says good morning, it vaporizes. Mm. And I don't know whether neurologically it's the same or not, but it feels that way to me. If somebody gets out of the car and starts talking with a buddy, the dream vaporizes. If they can discipline themselves to every single time, get out, go to a place where they're not going to be spoken to, do a track map, which is I'd provide them a clipboard and a rough outline of the track, and spend 10 minutes just trying to recall what was happening out there. That's, to me, the the real golden part of um, of my process. I'm, I didn't invent this. Uh, Steve Cole, great friend of mine, who's now with uh, Pratt & Miller, in charge of the Cadillac Racing Program, mm-hmm. he taught me that. He was a coach of mine in the past. Basically, a tremendous amount of what I'm doing, I think, is recalling what Steve Cole did with me. And what it's doing is it's teaching your brain to recall better and in more detail. And each time it gets a little bit better. Mm -hmm. Because I think the next time you get in the car, part of your brain says, oh, yeah, Carney's going to hand me that clipboard. There's probably a lot of things that we do in life that we could benefit from that exercise after we involved ourselves in something. How about resources? I know there are many out there, but is there one in general that you're really fond of, perhaps a website or a blog? I pay a lot of attention to Ross Bentley's uh, Speed Secret stuff. I really have found that those discussions in the Speed Secrets Weekly to be um, you know, really informative, and it's the opposite of what I remember growing up was that everybody – when I first started this, it seemed that all people would talk about were the devices, Mm -hmm. the motor, the transmission, the chassis, the tires. They weren't talking about the actual performance of the vehicle, the driving part of it. And what I like about what Ross is doing is he's focused just right on that driving stuff. Not to say that the other stuff isn't important. I mean, you know, tuning the helmet is great, but if you've got a crappy car, you're not going anywhere. I understand that. But you can have a really good car, and if you don't pay attention to the process of how you're going to drive it, all you get, you know, when you go out is hop in and go. There's Mm -hmm. no, you know, goals established. There's no execution to meet the goals, and there's no review of the goals. Absolutely. Ross has been a guest here on Cars, yeah, and his Speed Secrets Weekly is a great resource. Is there a book that you've read in the past that you would share with the Cars Yeah listeners that you were really fond of? A long time ago, I read a book called Peak Performance by um, Charles Garfield. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's dated now. It was in the mid-'80s. But it really helped me at the time. I, and it certainly wasn't talking about auto racing, but a lot of what he was speaking about in the book is similar to what Ross is addressing these days. The mental game is a huge, huge part of it, and it doesn't mean that anybody's crazy. It just means that you know our brains are fairly complicated devices, and they're as important as the motor and the transmission. And you gotta do some care and feeding of that. Perfect. Well, I'll remind the listeners that you can find these resources at carsyad.com/slash Jim Carney, and Jim's last name is spelled K-E-A-R-N-E-Y. All right, Jim, we're up to the checkered flag. And this last question can be a real doozy for some people. If you could only have one collector car, and I'll include collector race car if you'd like, in your garage, and money's no object, today I'll buy you whatever you'd like, 
What would that vehicle be and why? You know, I think it might be an Alpha of some sort, and that's because long ago I had a Julietta, like it was a 1961, mm-hmm. and it wasn't in very good shape, but it definitely appealed to me and had, uh, I thought, a real flair to it, and uh, it really handled to beat the band. <laughs> They're beautiful cars for sure. Jim, you've taken me on a great ride around the track today, and I knew you would, and I want to thank you for your stories. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you, Mark. You're welcome. Could you give our listeners one parting piece of guidance before you drive off into the sunset in that Alpha? Happy drivers go faster. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> and, uh, you know, in the middle of my racing career, you would not have pegged me as somebody that did that. I think that it's really, really important to figure out a way to stay positive. You have to remind yourself whatever you're doing with your car, whether it's track day or or just showing it off or racing it or autocrossing it, whatever you're doing, it's really something that a lot of people on the planet will never get a chance to do. And you should remind yourself that this is something pretty glorious. Yep. Great guidance from the coach. I appreciate that. Absolutely. What's the best way for our listeners to learn more about what you're doing? Probably the best way would just be to go to the website. Mm-hmm. I'm also on uh, Facebook, Carney Driver Development. you got to remember to say K-E-A-R-N-E-Y. Uh-huh. And your website is? CarneyKDD.com. All right. Well, listeners, you'll find links to everything, including those websites, here at CarsYeah.com slash Jim Carney. Just type Jim into the search box. His show notes page will pop right up, and you can find everything there. And give him a call and get some coaching advice for uh, driving a little bit faster. Jim, I want to thank you for being so generous today with your time and your expertise and for sharing your experiences with me and the listeners. It's been great fun. Until we talk again, I'll see you down the road. Thanks a million, Mark. You're welcome. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah!